book of Joshua, chapter number three. The book of Joshua, chapter number three. Beginning at verse number one, we'll read verse one through three, and also verse number five. If you found it, say praise the Lord. If you found it, say praise the Lord. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it. Then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Verse number five, and Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, verse three, and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. I'm going to preach two hours from a promise. Two hours from a promise. Not that I'm going to preach two hours, but I don't promise. <laughs> I might have should have thought that one through a little bit better. But if you don't say amen, then literally you're two hours from your promise. Lord, I praise you and I thank you. God, you have been so abundantly good to us. You've blessed us, you've kept us, you've healed us, you've delivered us, you brought us out. You were good to us when we didn't deserve it, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would anoint us today. Let the power of your word penetrate the mind and the heart of your people. Accomplish your purpose, O oh God. Confirm your word with signs following. Let it find good ground and let my heart be good ground. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish what you've sent this word for today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated tonight. The Bible said that they removed from a place known as Shittim. Shittim is a Hebrew word. It's actually a transliteration of the name of a tree. It's the acacia tree. Shittim apparently was a forest of these particular types of trees. These acacia trees are specifically created by God to survive in dry and hot desert environments. 
They thrive in places that would kill other species of trees. And so on the edge of the Jordan River, they found this forest, this woods that was full of this particular type of tree, specially designed for that environment. After 40 years of wandering in a wilderness, Shittim appeared nearly as a paradise. In a barren desert, this particular forest of trees was practically an oasis under the canopy of the four of these acacia trees, Israel found refuge from the persistent and unforgiving desert sun. Shittim became more than a small stop on the journey. As a matter of fact, they ended up camping here for much longer than God had ever intended for them to be there. Some of the most prominent events of the wilderness trek happened here in this final long-term camping place known as Shittim. It was here where the prophet Balaam joined forces with their enemy Balak, and God refused to allow Balaam to curse Israel, and God made a way for them. It was here that they defeated the army of the Midianites and won a great victory, a victory that was so profound that the city of Jericho heard about it, and they feared that Israel would turn their sights towards Jericho. It was when they got to Jericho that the lady that they talked to said, we heard about you and we knew you were coming, and our heart was moved with fear. It was at Shittim where Moses realized that Israel had become too comfortable. They had become too at ease at this, at this forest of trees. And so it was at this place that Moses sat down and wrote the book of Deuteronomy, which was a book that was intended to remind them of the great things that God had done to bring them to the place of promise. He knew they were too comfortable, and so he reminded them of the miracles that God had done all the way back from Egypt all the way through, and that God had brought them to this place, but he didn't bring them to Shittim for them to stay there. And so Moses was trying to stir their heart with desire to go on to their promise. He was trying to get them hungry for Canaan land one more time. The enemy of great is good, and the enemy of amazing is average, and the enemy of your, desti of your destiny is comfort. Moses learned the hard way that when he slew the Egyptian, he escaped into the desert, and Moses had the destiny of a deliverer, but his daily life was not the life of a deliverer. Moses, in Exodus 2 and 21, the Bible said that he was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses, Zipporah, his daughter. Moses found a place in the wilderness when he, where he was content to stay. It was not the will of God for Moses to stay in the wilderness. It was not the plan of God for Moses to stay there. 
Moses' calling was to deliver Israel from Egypt, but Moses got content living below his destiny. The word content there used in Exodus 2 in the original Hebrew, it means to be satisfied with a certain level of achievement and not wishing for more. It means to accept as adequate despite needing more or better. Moses was satisfied with a certain level, but that was not what Moses was called to be. Moses wasn't called to be a shepherd in Midian. Moses was called to be a deliverer of Israel. But Moses could never reach his potential as long as he was content below his calling. Amen. And so Moses knew the terrible, terrible clutches of contentment. Moses knew what it was like to be in a place where you were not called to be but finding comfort below what your destiny is. Amen. Moses experienced it himself. And so now when Israel gets to Shittim, Moses sees in them all of the traits and qualities that he experienced himself when he was content. And he knew, I've got to do something to move them from this comfort place of Shittim and get them to their destiny. So it was under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that Moses began to write the book of Deuteronomy and he reminded them how God sent the plagues in Egypt to overthrow Pharaoh and how God parted the Red Sea. And when they got hungry, he brought manna from heaven. And when they got tired of manna, he sent quail in. And when they got thirsty, he brought water from a rock. And when their enemies came against them, he slew their enemies and the end result of the book of Deuteronomy is God didn't do all of this for you for you to live under a tree in Shittim God didn't bring you this far to leave you on this side of Jordan God didn't deliver you and bless you and pour his blessings on you for you to be content living below where God has called you to be And so it was at this place then Moses finishes the book of Deuteronomy and he climbs Mount Nebo. And from Mount Nebo, he looks across the Jordan River. And the Bible said that God caused him to see the promise. And he looks all the way across the panorama of the promised land. Canaan land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses dies on Mount Nebo and God buries him himself on the mountain. And now Israel mourns Moses at Shittim. Without Moses now to push them, they now stay in, their, in, in this place. They were so close to their destiny. I, I didn't know how fast the average person can walk. I know that, that Stephen Pat Wilson can walk a lot faster than the rest of us. And I know that some people drag their feet a lot. But on average, the average person can walk three to four miles an hour. Three to four miles an hour. And then, so I thought, well, that's interesting. How far then? 
is Shidem from the Jordan River. How far away were they from their promised land? Now, now I, I was in Israel a couple years ago, and one of the things that surprised me about the trip is when we got to the Jordan River, uh, how narrow it was. It was, it was not a, it, I, I, I pictured it as a big, wide river. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly as wide as this building. Maybe I'm looking for somebody that went on the trip that might be able to tell me. But, but it was maybe half as wide as this building, maybe. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, it's cold too. I got to baptize three people in Jesus' name in the Jordan River, and it was cold. It was worth it, but it was cold. And, uh, and, and so here they are. And, and the Jordan River is five to six miles from where they'd been camping for weeks and months. Imagine the average person walks three to four miles. Let's go on the low side and say they can walk three miles an hour. And let's just say that they're on the high side five miles or six miles from the Jordan River. Here is this group of people that for over 400 years they've heard about Canaan land. They've talked about Canaan land. They've sung about Canaan land. They've dreamed about it. When their babies were little in Egypt, they would sit them on their lap and say, we're not going to be slaves forever, but there's Canaan land over there, and God's going to bring us to Canaan land. And through that wilderness, they would lay their heads down in that rocky desert wilderness, and they would remind their children, this is not, this is just temporary. We're not always going to be in the wilderness. God's got a place for us. And the prophets would stand up. And Moses would tell them that in Canaan land, there's vineyards we didn't have to plant. And we're going to eat the fruit of it. And there's houses that we didn't have to build, but we're going to lay our heads down in them. And there's wells that we didn't have to dig, but we're going to drink the cool water from the Canaan land. And here they are. Here they are. Five to six miles away. And for months they stay inside them because they're content to be where they are. You would think after 400 years of bondage and 40 years wandering in a wilderness that they would say, if I can be there in two hours, I'm going to go get what God has for me. I would want to stay not one more night in the desert if over there's a house for me. And I didn't have to even build it or pay for it. And over there's a well for me. And I can drink the water. And I never had to move a single rock for it. But here they are. Oh, Jesus. God, I'm asking you to help me preach this morning. Uh, here they are, two hours, a, a two-hour walk from Canaan land, a two-hour walk from their dreams, a, a two-hour walk from their promise, and they won't get themselves moving that direction. Just imagine. I can't, I can't hardly imagine it. What they had longed for their whole life, two hours away. Everything that they had ever dreamed about, two hours away. A land flowing with milk and honey, two hours away. 
grape clusters so big, it took two men to carry them two hours away. All of what they had dreamed about and hoped for and talked about and, and dreamed of, all of that within a, 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 within a two hour walk and yet for weeks and weeks and weeks they stay where they are. They're that close to their promise. It seems that as all they've gotta do is reach out and take it, but they're so content being close to their promise without actually having their promise. Oh God. Can I tell you something? I felt like the Lord spoke to me early this morning. And, and, uh, and I'll just tell you how he told it. It's not profound at all. It's as basic as it can be. But he told me anything that's not Canaan might as well be Egypt. Anything that isn't Canaan might as well be Egypt. Two hours from Canaan land might as well be all the way back in the slave pit of Egypt. Uh, two hours from their destiny might as well be 40 years away. Because if you're not going to have what God has, what difference does it make how close you are? Let me tell you, God's got some promises for some people in this place. You let me walk in the Holy Ghost and tell you that God doesn't want you always struggling with the same stuff you've been struggling with. And God doesn't want you always battling with the same stuff you've battled with. God has a promise for you. But you can't be satisfied where you are. God knew it was time to go forward. Every day spent in the wilderness was another day that they were without their destiny. Every night spent in the wilderness, every night inside them was another night outside of their promise. Every day they spent two hours from their destiny was another day they would bury an elder who never got to taste the water of Canaan land, who never got to eat the fruit of their blessing. May I tell somebody in this place today. You may have come to church feeling like you're a long way from what God has for you. You may feel like you're so distant from a breakthrough that there's no way you could ever get it. But can I tell you, metaphorically speaking, you're just two hours from your destiny. You are so close to your promise. It's within arm's reach. Your deliverance is close. Your joy is close. Your breakthrough is close. Your revival is close. Your peace of mind is close. God, I wish I could want it for him. God, I wish I could want it for somebody. There's people here, you're miserable. You think you're happy, but every night you feel empty. Every night you feel unfulfilled. You're on a quest to find peace in life, and it's not coming from a person. It's not coming from a pill. It's not coming from a bottle. It's not going to come from anything, but you getting to your promised land, and you feel like you're far away, but it's right there. Somebody's joy is right there. God knew it was time for them to go forward. So Joshua chapter number three comes along and he says, you've been at Shidem long enough. We've been here too long. I know that it was a nice stop on your journey, but 
You were never supposed to stay here. And so he says in verse number three of Joshua three, they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, the ark of the covenant was a physical, physical representation of the presence of God. When they saw the ark of the covenant, they knew that God was with them. May I tell you today, that when you see the presence of God begin to move, that means you're close to your miracle. When the presence of God begins to move, can I tell you, it's the presence of the Lord that makes all the difference in the world. He is the essential ingredient that changes everything. God can make changes that are impossible with man. He doesn't need perfect people or perfect circumstances to make a miracle. All you need is the presence of God. Amen. Amen. You say, well, I'm not... I'm not good enough. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough ability. I'm not good enough to be used of God. I'm not, I don't deserve a breakthrough. I don't deserve to have joy. I've messed my life up. I don't have the talent or the ability. Can I remind you that Moses was a wayward shepherd with a speech impediment until the presence of God turned him into a deliverer. Samson was a playboy who gave away his strength and eyesight until God moved on him and he was a champion one more time. Elijah was a whiny prophet sitting by a dried up up brook wallowing in self-pity and fear until the presence of God touched him. David was a poem writing heart playing sheep tender until the presence of God made him a lion killer, a bear killer, and a giant killer. You, the man at the pool of Bethesda was just another lame man complaining about somebody else getting all the breaks in life until the presence of God walked up to him and turned him around. Lazarus was just another dead body in just another tomb until the presence of the Lord walked up and made all the difference. Bartimaeus was just another blind man until the presence of God came to him. Let me tell you, this is just another building until the presence of God comes in here. But when he shows up hey I wish somebody would feel what I'm feeling right now when he shows up it changes everything you can tell me all the reasons why you don't deserve a miracle and I'll tell you but when God shows up God's a miracle worker I wish somebody would praise in his presence right now the presence of God can turn your life around. The presence of God can change everything. It's the presence of God that makes all the difference. Not your education, not your pedigree, not your vocabulary, not your family tree, not your talent, not your ability, not anything that you could do in yourself. None of your earthly limitations are the difference. It's the presence of God that makes all the difference. 
in the world. And the Lord told Israel, I know you've wasted 40 years wandering in circles. I know you've wasted all these weeks here, two hours from your destiny. I know, look, you should have been there months ago. You should have been there weeks ago. I know you got satisfied two hours from your destiny. But here's what I'm going to tell you. When you see my presence begin to move, it doesn't matter how long you've been stopped. It doesn't matter how long you've been in neutral. It doesn't matter how long you've wasted. When I get to move, it's time for you to go. Can I tell somebody, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go. Everything else in life is expendable. Lord Jesus, help me. We have some of the greatest talent in the world. Some of the best singers and musicians and latest technology. But we can survive without all of it. I preached in home missions churches where they had a snare drum and a two-string bass guitar. They played the same two notes on every song, whether it was the right note or not, because all they had was a snare drum and a two-string bass guitar. They didn't even try. I don't even know that they tried to be on the right beat at any song. But during that revival, about a dozen people were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost because it doesn't matter how many strings you got on your bass guitar and how many drums you got. It doesn't matter if you're on the right beat or not. When the presence of God moves, it changes everything. It changes everything. His presence makes the difference. I'm telling you that this church is primed for a world-changing apostolic revival. And I'm going to take it another step. It's not this building. This building can't have revival. It's wood, brick, drywall, and carpet. If this church is going to have revival, he's going to send it through you in your family. This building can't have a miracle. So if we're going to see miracles, it's going to be your family having a miracle. I'm telling you, it's about to happen because the presence of God is in this place. But you got to leave Shidem. You got to leave the comfort zone. You got to leave the place where you've been resting spiritually. And you got to say, I see the presence of God and I'm going after it. And I'm glad I got a guest preacher tonight. That means I don't have to save anything for later. I'm telling you that you are two hours. Figuratively, I, I, I think you're probably about 20 minutes from your breakthrough. I want God things to happen around here. Amen. Amen. You know how men are. We talk about women. That's, that's a girl thing. Going out shopping all day long, not buying anything, just looking, looking, looking. Wasting all day long. My God, I feel like I'm preaching and I'm not getting any amens. It's a girl thing. It's not me thing. Amen. I'm not trying to make anybody mad, but man, girls can get around and cry and just be happy about it. They enjoy it. If I cry, somebody died. Or I got a kidney stone. I'm not going to sit around and cry just to feel better. It's a, it's a girl thing. Well, 
going out and killing something, ripping its guts out and putting it on your wall to brag about it. It's a guy thing. Mostly. Not all, not always. There's some things that are girl things, some things that are guy things. I had somebody tell me one time, I'm gonna cry. I said, Well, that doesn't mean anything. You cry all the time. God, help me get back on point here. I'm giving you all a commercial because I've been pushing hard all morning. I'm trying to give you a little break just to get your breath back. I don't want a woman thing, a girl thing, a man thing, a boy thing. I want a God thing to happen here. I want something to happen here that when we walk out of these doors, service after service, we know there was no way that anybody but God could do that. There's no way that anybody could change that man but God. There's no way that anybody could do, could deliver them from that but God. I want God things to happen in this place, but those kinds of things don't happen if we're content in Shidem. We got to get up and follow the presence of God, and when it begins, it's moving right now, and you ought to be saying, okay, God, I want to go with you right now. Let me tell you, you're close to your breakthrough, but you cannot get it just watching other people worship. You've got to worship. You can't get it by watching other people respond. You've got to leave Shidem. You've got to leave your place, and you've got to go after it. Hallelujah. God things. He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, the Levites, bearing it. The priests and Levites are interesting because all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. To be a priest, you had to be a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. But if you were of the tribe of Levi, then you were able to do ministry in the tabernacle. The Levites did things like sing and play music and open doors, open and shut gates. They were responsible for things that went on around the temple, making sure that there was incense and this and that and all the details, carrying out the, the ashes from the fire, all the stuff that had to happen for them to have a move of God, for the presence of God to fill the temple. It took Levites and priests. He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, the Levites bearing it, he said, then you leave. Let me just tell you that it takes more. It takes more than just the people on the platform to make revival happen. It takes everybody to make it happen. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You have priests. That's the ministry. That's the pastor. That's the ministerial staff. You have Levites. That's the people that make the ministry happen, that do all the stuff in the house of God. And that, but there needed to be more than the pastor and the musicians and singers and ushers and greeters and Sunday school teachers and, and all of those people making it happen. It's, got, it's also, he says, not only does it take, because not only is it the priests and the Levites that have to move, he said, but you've got to leave your place and you've got to go after it. It takes everybody in the church to have a revival. Amen. The person that hadn't shouted in a long time needs to shout. The person that hadn't talked in tongues in a long time ought to do whatever they got to do to get where they can pray through again. He said, everybody, if you want to get to your promised land, everybody's got to come. The priests, the Levites, and all the people got to leave their place and go after it. Look, it may have been 20 years since you had a breakthrough, but you ought to say, God, I want my breakthrough now. I want to leave where I've been. He said, you gotta, he said, remove from your place. 
Remove from your place. That word place in the Hebrew is the word mequam. It means, it means a locality or a spot, but it also means a condition of mind. He said, you got to leave the condition of mind. you got to change your mindset. You've got a wilderness mindset. And for you to get a Canaan land mindset, you have to leave your wilderness mindset here at Shidem. Because if you don't leave your wilderness mindset here, you'll never cross the Jordan River. It's not enough just to get out of your tent, but you got to get out of the mindset that kept you out from where you're supposed to have been for all this time. The mindset that says, I'll come to church and I'll sit back and I'll let somebody else clap. I'll let somebody else worship. I'll let somebody else pray. I'll let somebody else be involved. And I'll just, that's a mindset that you've got to leave behind if you're really ever going to have revival. If we're really. Am I preaching or not? Am I preaching to you or not? The biggest thing you're going to have to overcome in your life is not the devil. It's your mindset. It's the mindset that says I'm satisfied just like I am. I'm happy just doing what I'm doing. I'm happy here under the trees of Shidem. When right over there is a promised land and I could have it. But my mindset has to change. My mentality has to change can't just go to church for entertainment or because it's what I'm supposed to do or have to do because it's my habit because I know I need to. I'm coming to church because I'm coming to get in direct line with the presence of God. I'm coming to get an experience in Him. I'm coming to do something for Him. I'm not just coming to church to go through the motions of another service and it just be like all the other services. I'm leaving my place. I'm leaving my mindset that's kept me two hours from my promise for all these years. I'm leaving the mindset that has kept me miserable and unhappy and unjoyful and unanointed and uninvolved. I'm leaving that mindset set behind I got you he said when you see the ark of the covenant and the priests the Levites go by he said that's when you know it's time you got to remove from your place and you got to go after it I did a google search on the word go Two little letters. It was easy for me to spell. Four billion three hundred million hits for the word go. Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary has nine definitions for go as a noun, one definition as an adjective, nine definitions as an intransitive verb, and 20 definitions as a transitive verb. The dictionary has 39 different definitions for the word go. In the Old Testament, there's 14 Hebrew words translated as go. In the New Testament, there's 11 Greek words translated as go. That means this one little two-letter word between the English dictionary, the Hebrew, and the Greek has 64 definitions. Since you didn't shout about it, I'll just go ahead and read them all to you. I'm not interested in that. The word go appears, the word go appears 1,492 times in your King James Version Bible. If you include its variants, it appears 1979, 1979 times. 
I'm going to tell you that the Bible is a go book, not a stay book. The Bible is a book about movement and progress and forward. If you want your promise, you got to go for it. God, God used, in the Bible, God used 1,979 different ways to try to tell people go. How many times did he have to say over and over, go, 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 1,979 times, go, different ways he would try to say it. You got to go, you got to go, you got to go, because God is a God of movement and progress. So if I haven't moved and progressed in God for a long time, that means that I got to do something to get where I need to be with God, because God wants me to be going. Amen. God wants me to be progressing, to be going forward. God doesn't want me to stay where I've been for weeks and months. He said, now, look, I'm going to send the presence of God before you, and I'm going to send your leadership, and I'm going to send your ministerial staff, and when you see everything going, it's time for you to get up, and it's time for you to get going too. you got to go for it. Give somebody a high five and tell them go. One of the things I love to do, I aggravate kids to death. I go preach for guys, and if they have a little kid, like we had Brother Fallon here, they had those cute little boys. And when I introduced myself to them, they were like six and whatever. And I said, are you married yet? And that one looked at me and said, are you crazy? I love aggravating kids. One of the things I like to do to kids and short people is go up to them and tell them, give me a high five. And, and man, they'll try. They'll slap me in the armpit. They'll slap me on the elbow. They'll hit me in the face accidentally. They'll do everything they can to reach. God, help us to be like those little children, to do whatever it takes to reach, to reach higher, to reach further, to try more. God, I gotta get tired of the wilderness that I've been in or I'll never reach my destiny. I'm trying to get somebody tired of the place you've been dwelling in for week after week after week, and you know there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Joshua said, you got to go for it. We're not going to get anywhere spiritually if we just stay in the same routine we've always been in. Two hours. Two hours. Two hours. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all those weeks and months they spent at Shinem? A two-hour walk from everything they had dreamed of their whole life. I tell you what would be a shame. We're sitting here, we're thinking, what were they thinking? Is anybody else thinking that? What in the world, why in the world, why in the world did they lay one more night down two hours from a breakthrough? But let's talk about them all we want. There's people here right now, you've been in the same spiritual spot for years, not just weeks. 
And it's easy to talk about, talk about people who's been dead for thousands of years, but what about folks that have been dead for a few weeks or months or years? You gotta get stirred up. You gotta get stirred up. Somebody's got, look. I'm not just talking about people that are satisfied in a bad place. Sometimes you gotta be unsatisfied in a good place because good is the enemy of great. I think about the disciples on the last night of Jesus' life in freedom, that he's in, he, he takes the disciples all to the garden of Gethsemane and he, he looks at nine of those dudes and he tells them, he says, you guys stay here, me and these three guys, we're gonna go yonder and pray. He goes, he goes yonder and, and look, I'm glad that I know the Lord was a good southerner because the Bible says yonder, hallelujah. So if you say over there, you gotta get in the Bible, folks. <laughs> it's yonder. He said, you guys stay here, we're gonna go over there. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes in there and he begins to pray. And he prays and he's, he's, he's wrestling with his will and he's wrestling with the cup of iniquity. And, and he, 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 he prays so intensely that he sweats like great drops of blood. And then he goes to those three guys and he says, and they're asleep, can you not watch with me one hour? And he goes back and prays again. He comes back, they keep sleeping. He finally just tells them, look, it's okay, here the, it's over. Here's the thing. Read all the writings of St. Peter. Not one time did he ever say, I fell asleep while the Lord was praying. Read all the writings of John. Not one time did John say, I fell asleep. Read all the writings of James and not one time did James say, I fell asleep. It was the guy that was supposed to stay at the gate that said, man, he took those three dudes and they fell asleep. How did he know they fell asleep? Sometimes you gotta become discontent even in a good place and say, I'm going further. Sometimes you gotta say, I know that I've been in, this is a good spot. My family's doing well, my soul is doing well, my ministry's doing well, my finances are doing well, my marriage is doing well, my kids are okay, Every, everything's doing well. But I'm not satisfied just doing well. I'm ready for that next level of my breakthrough. I'm ready for that kind of anointing that really shakes and stirs and, and, and really moves my family to another level. I'm tired. Shidon was a good place. It's nice to be sheltered from the sun. It's nice to have a place to rest from the desert. But this is not where I was created to be. Just two hours away just a couple hours away is what I've been dreaming about my whole life. Let me tell some of our preachers, you're two hours away from the greatest anointing that you've ever walked in. Let me tell some of my moms and dads, you're two hours away from an anointing falling in your home that turns your family upside down. You're right there, but you gotta leave where you are and go after it. Stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. I got a phone call from a friend of mine. He's been a, man, he's a great guy. He's a, he, when I was youth president in 
I was youth president for our organization from 2003 to 2007, and he was on the district youth board, and uh, just, a, just a super, super guy. He's like, he, he's not quite as tall as I am, but he weighed, he weighed like 500 pounds, man. He was, he was a big old joker. He called me, he called me the other day, Brother Wilson. It's been six, eight weeks ago. He, he, he texted me, rather. He didn't call me. He texted me. He said, he said, Brother V, I want you to pray for me. I'm getting ready to go to the doctor. Pray I get a bad report. I'm like, well, I've never had anybody ask me that before, unless they were trying to get disability or something. I thought, what in the world? And he, he said, I can't afford weight loss surgery. He said, but if I get a bad report, my insurance will pay for it 100%. I prayed for lots of people to get healed and it didn't happen. I prayed for him to get a bad report and just like that, boom. I found my calling. But he, he told me, he said, something's gotta change. Something's gotta change. You gotta get so uncomfortable with where you are or you'll never go for more. Two hours from promise. I want you to lift your hands all over this place, if you will. The Bible says lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Lifting of your hands is a sign of worship and openness to God. It's a feeble human attempt to try to reach to him, but he sees it and he understands it. I can only reach so far with my natural hand, but when God sees me reaching as far as I can, then he reaches with his supernatural hand. So by that simple act of reaching out to him, there's some people in this place that you are hungry for that next level. You may not know how to get there. You may not know the steps that it takes, but you're hungry for it. Thank God for these young people that have come, these young people and Brother Reggie that have come to the altar. Saying, I'm hungry. I, I'm not satisfied with where I've been. It's been a good place, but I don't want to just be happy good when good is the enemy of great. I'm reaching. The old song said, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. But you gotta be pressing two hours. There's some men and women in this place that you are just a few prayers away from your breakthrough. Come on, I'm just giving you time to come. I'm telling you what I've been praying ever since the Lord dealt with me about this message. I've been praying, God help me to go further. God, help me to press deeper. Help me to press to another place, Lord. Oh, God, I'm hungry for more. Can you talk to him and just tell him, God, I've been satisfied in Shidem. I stopped so close to my breakthrough. Come on, can you open your mouth and talk to him? God, I'm ready. I need another place. I need to push myself. I got to push myself further. I got to push myself higher. I got to push myself onward. 
Oh, God, I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. Come on. This needs to be your voice, not mine, not just the priests and the Levites. But now it needs to be everybody leaving their tent and saying, I'm going for it. I feel, I feel the call of God bringing me, pushing me. Come on. You're, you're good folks. You are some of the best people. Man, I'm so proud to be able to say I pastor Bethlehem Church. And as great as we are, I know there's more. I know we got more inside of us. Oh, go ahead and sing something, Brother Ethan. Let's press. Can we do it right now? God, convict my life in the places I need to be convicted. God, speak to me about the things in my life that I need to change. God, give me the grit that it takes to push myself to another place, to another level, to press on. fresh anointing. God, pour out on me a fresh desire for you, Lord.
with somebody close to you. Why don't you pray, God, help us. Help us to push each other to a higher level. Help us to push each other to do more. Help us, God, to prompt each other for more prayer, more worship, more outreach, more soul winning. God, help me. Come on, help me, God, to be the kind of brother that pushes my brothers and sisters to go further. God, help us as a family, as a church family, to press on our upward way, Lord. Help us not to be satisfied with what we've got. Oh, come on, can you pray? Can you lift your voice and pray? While they sing this chorus one more time, can you lift your voice and pray?
How many can honestly say I'm not satisfied where I am in the flesh? I want more of the Lord. Hallelujah. I know it's easy sometimes when uh, we get out of the ordinary. We have Christmas vacations. We separate. We go different ways. COVID hits again. It can put us kind of in a, a spiritual funk. And we begin to see our faithfulness as in the eyes of the flesh instead of the Lord. Well, let's turn that around. Let's not be satisfied where we're at. Let's start this year off right. Let's, let's search deeper and harder and stronger for the Lord with every passing day. Let's grow in the Lord. The things that you do on a daily basis, if you know it's not edifying your spirit, let's make an effort to change those things. And it won't maybe happen overnight, but you got to start somewhere. Like he said, go. Let's go. Let's do it. If it's just a little bit at a time, if you're tweaking just a little bit here and a little bit there, before you know it, you're making habits for the Lord. You're doing things that you're supposed to do. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's forget, not forget. Tonight we have Brother Porterfield coming. It's going to be an awesome